We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, welcome into our final edition of the OBR Film Breakdown's Positional Reviews from 2023. Jake and Andrew back with you one last time for this. We are going to do safeties and then uh, probably at the end just quickly talk about specials as well. Um, All right, let's do it. All right, so players who gave you a significant number of snaps at the safety position this year. Grant Delpit gave you 738. Juan Thornhill, 643. Rodney McLeod, 280. Ronnie Hickman, 322. And DeAnthony Bell, 256. So they played five guys. Deron Harmon ended up getting 138 by the end of the year as well. There's no position group that we have broke down, Andrew, that has that balance of snaps across the board for everybody in the depth chart, essentially. So no, nobody accounted for more than 13 games no one individual and all of the five mentioned outside of Harmon played double digit games. So really good balance, despite probably not wanting balance, they ended up with balance, right? So you obviously get the early portion of the season with Grant, Rodney and Juan. Juan gets hurt, you know, off and on middle of the season, dealing with the calf um plays here and there obviously getting to 12 games is i just don't like i see 12 games and for some reason that doesn't register for me that he played 12 games it felt like he was hurt more than that but nonetheless he played 12 your highest graded player is DeAnthony bell ronnie hickman the next highest grant delpit ends up being at 70 overall at the third spot um and then mcleod and deron Harmon end up in the 50s take this for what it's worth grain of salt but this is the grades that uh that pro football focus put out. And then Juan Thornhill is a 66.5. Your best tackler was DeAnthony bell highest producing tackler. Grant Delpit had 33 stop tackles, which is a really strong number to be that close to the line of scrimmage, make that many plays. He also accounted for 12 total pressures, nine hurries and a sack. And he had um, the highest volume of tackles. Uh, Juan Thornhill, 47 total tackles. So he was second Hickman, 20, DeAnthony Bell, 25. As far as coverage stuff goes, Ronnie Hickman had one interception, two pass breakups. DeAnthony Bell had a couple interceptions, three pass breakups. Jerron Harmon had an interception 
as did Grant Delpit. You had two Ronnie Hickman touchdowns, and you had two Juan Thornhill touchdowns allowed, just giving you guys who allowed scores credited for those, and then one from Deron Harmon. So that's kind of ball production and then who allowed some scores to take place. Overall, I think outside of edge, Andrew, probably the group tested in a more serious way but also probably the second highest graded group of the of the defense. I mean, maybe even the whole entire team. I I, I would be like, I, mean, I don't know, A-plus because the frontline guys didn't provide all of it, but, I mean, the depth guys stepping in and playing the way they did with Hickman and DeAnthony Bell was really encouraging. So I, I'm probably at like an A. I feel really good about how they performed this year. Where are you? I think it was a tale of kind of two halves almost. I think that there was some disappointment early um, between Thornhill struggling with injury. And I think uh, you didn't really see the vision coming together at, the, at, at first. And then Delpit really came on over the, the middle part of the season and then he got hurt. But what was really heartening to see was how much the depth responded towards the end of the season. And that's what was completely unexpected, right? Um, you, if you had told me before the season that they were going to have Deron Harmon and Ronnie Hickman playing meaningful snaps down the stretch, you'd almost expect that they would be getting roasted in the secondary. And they did eventually in the wildcard game, but it, it they got away with it for a lot longer than you would have thought that they would be able to. I, I think in part because of the pressure that they were able to get up front all season long, but Hickman specifically emerging as a player who who is ready in year one as an undrafted free agent is a is a coup and it's one of the first maybe there's another name that jumps out to you jake but it's one of the first times that i can think that we've seen a an undrafted player under this regime really hit the ground running where they've been first year kind of ready to go i'm encouraged by that because i think it means that the some of the coaching that they're doing on the on the on the defensive side is maybe helping these guys come along a little bit faster than it was the first few years that uh, of this of this group. Yeah, it's encouraging as hell. I I mean, like you said, I don't think the burden on Brown's safeties is overwhelming. Like the role that Hickman was playing in that post safety role and lets you read identify process and jump a route against man is less a burden than other roles that safeties play i think you specifically referenced really well the wild card game where i think there were quite clearly some situations where hickman was challenged in ways he hasn't been challenged the post route that he just gets caught flat-footed against i think it was nico collins and and i I, one of the few throws that that uh cj stroud missed in that game should have been a touchdown like what I'm getting at, and I'm not trying to take away from what Ronnie was doing this year is that like, if the Browns start to play more challenging roles for that position, deception, disguise, covering in space alone on an Island more often, I think it'll be interesting to see if it translates the, uh, the role might get harder for the safeties next year. We'll see, but having pressure be able to get there as quick as it does which which group would benefit from that the most, Andrew? The safeties would, who play the deepest portion of the field, and a quarterback just can't get there very often. So as we saw teams start to dial them up, have a real pulse for how the Browns were, were playing, think back to Indy, for example. 
where you put Thornhill and Delpit in space against RPO stuff and they were exposed. So like it wasn't a perfect season from this group, but collectively top to bottom with what they were asked to do, it was really strong. Do I think this is like the best safety group in the NFL? I don't think we can say that, but I do think based on what they asked them to do, they have curtailed the talent to that. And that's commendable, right? Like you have to be able to find guys who can play post safety, read quarterback eyes and jump. And I think Hickman did a good job of that. I think Juan Thornhill was fine. Didn't make as many splash plays as people probably wanted, but I thought he was in the right place quite often. Um, you know, Delpit alarmingly was the highest missed tackle uh, participant this year. He had 16 of those while Thornhill had seven. So he had a 17% missed tackle rate. So, you know, that's not exactly what you want it to be. You'd like to see that come down, even though Grant makes a lot of plays, 33 stop tackles, and he does some unique things. You would like to see that move in the other direction uh, if you can. But the coverage, I thought the coverage was pretty good all year long. I don't think the safeties were a part of the group that let them down all too often. But again, when you're playing that post safety or you're playing the roll down safety and invert cover two, the burden is less on you. It's more on the corners. That's obviously what the Browns were curtailing their defense toward and why we think that they should, you know, we talked about Greg Newsom in the cornerback episode and what they did there and how they have to replace that if they ultimately move on from him. But I feel like for the way Schwartz plays defense, this group is pretty dang good for him. And they obviously feel that way too. They signed Grant Delpa to in a contract extension. They have Thornhill for two more years and they have the two young guys. The question is, are those four guys and maybe a UDFA or late round pick Andrew enough? And what do you do with cleared leadership players in Rodney McLeod and Deron Harmon? Harmon obviously came on late, a great midseason addition as injuries started to add up. Anytime you can bring a former Super Bowl champion, been at multiple different places, you feel great about that addition. And I thought, although less verbalized in the media, we didn't get to see Deron in the media talk all too much or get a bunch of stories written about him the way you did with Rodney McLeod in the offseason, he filled that void that McLeod left. And it was clear that McLeod, uh, you know, going back to like, I think looking at like the 49ers game in the, in the, in the, you know, the player huddle and he's the one leading chance and breaking the team down. I just am curious if they think like they have enough leadership with now veteran players now and Grant and Juan, those guys have been around the NFL to the point that they're quite clearly veterans at this point. But do you think that there's a role for, I know you talked to, we have loosely talked about Rodney, like, Hey man, do you want to be a coach? Wink, wink, but he might not be ready for that. So like, do you think that that role is still something that they're going to pursue this year? Or do you think that, Hey, you, you, you learned everything you can from these guys. Now you two take it and go, and we'll try to get a little younger here. I think it's part, part of the question is what they want to do longer term, because there's actually room on this team long-term for a, a, a safety if they wanted to draft one. Now, obviously they have Hickman, who is a young, promising player, and maybe they have seen enough from him to think that he can start for this team. But they they do have a need. The Juan Thornhill contract is essentially a two-year contract. This is the second year. They can move on from him next year pretty easily. And so if they wanted to draft another safety to pair with Grant Delpit, they could do that. If they wanted to do that, there wouldn't really be room on the roster for a Rodney McLeod to Ron Harmon. So that, 
that to me is is part of this question is how do you want to handle the free safety position long term? If Hickman is the heir apparent and you're just going to hold Thornhill here for one more year to ease his transition, then you could t- you could potentially bring back one of Harmon or McLeod, probably McLeod, right? I think he was the really the the leader of the defense at the beginning of the year in terms of the fixing a lot of the secondary issues that plagued the Browns in in 2022. If you bring McLeod back, I think then there's probably there's not you're not going to carry six safeties, right? Five is even pretty healthy, so you probably then can't address safety in the draft. But but again, maybe you don't need to with Hickman. So I, those are kind of the two things that they're weighing. This is one of the areas on the roster where they have a lot of players, and the players are all affordable because Delpit's going into the beginning of his extension, so he's in the cheap part of his extension. Uh, Thornhill's contract is very reasonable. And then you've got two UDFAs. So like they're throwing no money at safety relative to what other two, you know, we talked about Jamal Adams a few days ago and, and the investment that the Seahawks made in him, for example, the the Browns are getting off very cheap at this position and they also have depth. So it's, it's probably, if you looked around the roster at rooms where you said, well, they, they almost don't need to, they could stand pat. Literally, let the guys who are free agents walk, not add anybody, and come back next year and be fine. How many rooms can you say that around the entire roster? Yeah. So it's in really good shape. If they want to bring back McLeod, they can. If they want to draft somebody in the in the third round, or you know they don't have any fourth round picks, but the fifth round that they want to compete with Hickman for that free safety spot long term, they could do that. They have options. Yeah. So I'm looking at like path to improvement, and I don't really think there is one because they were good last year i guess it's path to sustainability right that's probably the better way to phrase it so you know you you start to ask well, who could they add right the top of the safety market a reminder that it's one of the cheaper franchise tags at 16 million compared to the peers um you know a guy interestingly enough a guy named you know xavier mckinney is a good example here of what grant delpit could have commanded on the market they're projecting him four years 54 million 13 and a half per year, 30 million guaranteed. So that's an idea of like a player around what Grant would have maybe earned. But like, again, there are, there are plenty of types here, like Geno Smith and Julian Blackman and Jordan Fuller and Jordan Whitehead, like CJ Gardner Johnson that are not expensive. If you wanted to get one, like to me, Andrew, a Chauncey Gardner Johnson as a guy who could play that slot hybrid role for you would be a great addition. Right. Like I don't and you're not breaking the bank. It's a five year. Sorry. Whoa. It's a one year five million dollar contract projection. Maybe he gets more as teams compete or something. But to me, if you're looking in this market, you're maybe looking for like, is there a guy that can be a hybrid slot corner cover guy right between. And I'm talking again, like Geno Stone's projection is two years, 13 million. These are not expensive players. And they're also between, as I mentioned a second ago, these names, Geno Stone, Julian Blackman, Jordan Fuller, Jordan Whitehead. And CJ Gardner Johnson, all the way down to Deshaun Elliott, who's another nice safety for the, the most recently with the Dolphins. And hell, you could get real nostalgic and nostalgic and bring home Deshaun Gibson as your veteran, you know. Like those guys, though, the the first group there I've mentioned in that that lower tier of second tier of safeties, 24, 25, 25 about to be 26, 26 about to be 27, 26, 27. These are all young players. So the market is there. And if you go even further down and you want to add a hybrid versatile type of player, again, a super cheap deal, a guy I loved coming out of the draft 
was Jeremy Chen, who's not even 26 yet. You could get him for three million a year, right? You could get Darnell Savage for a cheap number. Like there are quite a few veteran safeties. If you just wanted to bring a Swiss Army knife in, that could handle that role and be the the fill in for those two uh, guys leaving, exiting the door. Right? The draft. It's not a high end safety class, but ironically, around where the Browns pick, there are a lot of guys that have uh, could be of interest, like. Washington State's Jaden Hicks. I know when we wrote college football write-ups, I wrote about him a couple times. A nice player. Cameron Kitchens from Miami. Sione Vaki. Do you know his story, Andrew? The uh, safety from Utah. He, he went over and played running back this year. The same time he was playing in the backfield, uh, the, the secondary of Utah. He was, he was really, I think he had some like 200-yard rushing games. It's a pretty crazy story. He's around the 100-ranked rank, ranked player on the board. Uh, Dadrian Taylor Demerson was somebody that Ian Valentino talked about from the Shrine Bowl, had a strong performance there. Tyke Smith from Georgia. And then a lot of people are high on these two players who are, again, ranked 118 and 154 on the board. Cole Bishop out of Utah, 6'2", 207, uh, just a junior. And then Bo Braid, the kid from Maryland, a 6'1", 210 um, senior coming in, coming into the draft. So, again, those are guys that you could look at at 135 if you want to add another piece. Maybe they don't trust the long-term of Bell and Hickman and they think there's some weaknesses there and they want to keep adding to that position. Those are guys that they could add. I know that you and I have both in mock drafts selected Jalen Green, um, the Mississippi State kid. I think we've both done that. Um, And then there's like, again, there's a lot of options down the board here. I think that moral of the story, Andrew, is that like you said, they can run it back with those four and be good enough. I would be interested personally in one of those veterans, not an older veteran, but like CJ Gardner Johnson is one that stands out to me as somebody who can do really versatile stuff for you and play all over the field and be a decent part of your secondary in terms of like giving you personnel advantages. Cause he's not afraid to hit either. So just, um, just it, it's good enough and it can get even better. I think there's a chance it can get better. What do you think? I, th- I like the idea of a slot, safety versatile player that could be used in a few different areas one of the things that it would help with of course is disguise which is something the the browns really lacked at times in 23 but if you had a player that could rotate from the slot to safety or vice versa on specific downs to try and throw some confusion a little bit of deception at the defense at the offense that would be something that you could you could do there that they delpit can play the slot a little bit but it there's there's guys that are more adept at it out there and and you're right that the, these contracts are cheap so i think that there there is the possibility of them doing this i think there's as i said before there's also the possibility that they stand pat and see it as an opportunity to save money to go someplace else right because they've got area other areas of the roster that are going to need uh, investment to for them to kind of get back to where they want to be so i i think they have options here and i don't i don't think at this point there's anything that they need to do. Uh, but I agree with you that I think if there's a, if there's a veteran option that's available, that's affordable, you have to explore it there because it, it just makes more financial sense than adding veterans at other positions that tend to be much more overpriced. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Buying tickets to your favorite events should not be stressful, guys. Game time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and concerts near you. You can find them last minute with killer deals, and their best price guarantee helps you stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hyped for all the fun you've had. So why would you go game time? They have flash deals, last minute tickets. They're easy to find. Buy tickets for every kind of event in your area, specifically those Cleveland Browns. You get great images of the seats view which is awesome when you're trying to figure out how the stadium is going to look when you're trying to find that right ticket for the right price. And they have that low price guarantee and event cancellation protection, job loss protection, all of the stuff to help you protect your money, right? It's the fastest growing ticket app for a reason in the country. You get images of your seats. Like I said, before you buy them, you buy tickets in a matter of seconds and they're sent directly to your phone. All right. So you never have to go digging through your email to find something last second. It is always there. You can put them in your wallet app and make sure to have them up and ready to go. It's important to know you can download that game time app, which makes it extremely easy, very intuitive, very fast way to buy those tickets, create an account and use the promo code OBR for $20 off your first purchase. Again, terms apply. Again, create that account, redeem the code OBR for $20 off. You can do so at GameTime.co. It is not .com, it is GameTime.co, but I would suggest downloading that app, taking advantage of the $20 off coupon using the promo code OBR. Download GameTime today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Yeah, so quite simply, I think our vision here is that they add one piece, whether that's a draft or I'm not even like... I don't have a big feeling on it one way or the other. They could sign somebody like we talked about. I prefer for the deception piece of veteran, but it's not like I'm going to get bothered by that decision. If they don't do it, they might have a guy they love in the draft in that range of safeties is probably really one of the positions more fit uh, to be there. Cause there's just good, like middle round depth there. Whereas linebacker, I feel like there's like five worthy linebackers. And so that changes things a little bit. So we'll keep our eye on that. That's safety. Let's quickly do the specials. Uh, I, I think we probably have a lot of positive to say here. D- Dustin Hopkins was remarkable. I mean, as far as I can remember, Andrew, the first time I have not had a concern about kicker for a long, for a long time. I can't even think off the top of my head. I think the Browns had a veteran one other year, like a decade ago or, or more. Um, not obviously Phil Dawson. It's somebody that they brought in after. I can't even think of who it would be that was relatively successful, but this is, uh, it was it was a joy to watch. Twenty four of twenty six on extra points and thirty three of thirty six on field goals, including eight of eight and fifty plus yard field goals. So, I commend the Browns and taking the swing on the seventh round pick to get it done. And it was a real joy to watch him kick. Riley Patterson only kicked in three games. He was eight of nine on extra points and he made one field goal in the thirty to thirty nine range. But we didn't really get uh, all too long with Riley Patterson. But I just was really uh, happy and enjoyed. The leadership that Hopkins brought, I thought it was quite clear. He's pretty well-respected in the locker room right away, too. So 
uh, I enjoyed I enjoyed Hopkins, and I look forward to watching him again this year. Did you have any thoughts on him? Well, I think the Browns got pretty lucky. I mean, they they deserve credit for for taking advantage of that luck. But a kicker like Dustin Hopkins, a ten year veteran, being available mm-hmm. when he was in that situation where the Browns were up against it because of what was happening with Cade York, that that's fortunate. It really is because is. that those aren't available. You can't expect that to be there every year. So. Uh, it, it was it was lucky that he was there. They did a good job of taking advantage of that opportunity and and getting that player. And I think then he did exceed any expectations we would have had for him. So, looking you know contract wise, he is under contract for twenty twenty four. No guaranteed money. You know a three million dollar cap number, which is like you know around one percent of the cap. Not the worst situation in the world to be in for a a veteran kicker. So I think they're probably quite happy to just ride this out and then reassess at the end of the season. Uh, but, uh, you know, great, great news in terms of going from what was a real liability all through last year. And I remember in the preseason being genuinely concerned that Cade York was going to cost them a game and how much they couldn't afford that. Mm-hmm. And it, it didn't end up happening. So, um, you know, th- even the game where Hopkins got hurt, they they got away with it because they were putting it on the Texans. So, uh, a, a a great a great trade, a great kicker. Um, what a relief! Uh, the other news here, of course, is that uh, Corey Borges is a free agent. So, that's something I was going to reference with you real quick. Like, he had the fourth highest punting grade, fifth mm-hmm. highest punting grade in the league. Mm-hmm. Now, he attempted ninety one punts, which is something the Browns have to get better at, right? Quite simply, Um, that's fourth most in the NFL in terms of punts this year, right there with the Giants, Patriots and Jets. So that needs to not company you want to be in. Not at all. Right. Um, So yards per attempt. He was ninth net yards, which is obviously much more important. He was 12. His inside the 20 uh, number was seventh with 35 of those. He um, was 22nd in yards allowed on return, but that was 9.7, largely because he really drives it downfield when he gets a hold of it. Average hang time, he ended up being a 4.35, which is 14th. I, I would try to bring Corey back. Does, are there some times where it's like, where'd, the, where'd that come from yeah. every now and again? Mm-hmm. But when he punts it and gets a hold of it, and I thought he's become more consistent here, I thought he has proven to be a pretty pretty dang good punter. And... Uh, he's also, despite a lot of unfounded concerns, been a really nice holder too, as evidenced by like Cade York trying to blame him for things sometimes. And it was like, oh, Dustin Hopkins had no problem with him. So I think that's been way, way overblown. I would try to bring him back if the price isn't overwhelming. I agree. I agree. Maybe there's another punter that they like, but I think he was pretty affordable and and I think fairly reliable for the price. So if that's if the fit continues, we'll see. I, I think it's interesting because, you know, Bubba Ventrone came in last year. Bohorquez was under contract. You weren't going to cut a punter, so uh, that you know that move never happened. But is there somebody that Ventrone likes better that they want to go a different direction? I could see that being possible here because, you know, that I started to kind of get the feeling that these special teams coordinators have to kind of do something to justify kind of show their value, and so maybe changing punters is is part of his kind of plan to oh yeah i've got this new punting plan that we're gonna implement as soon as possible so i i don't know i obviously this is not at the top of anybody's list but uh, the browns could have a new punter next year worth talking about 
I will say something that does stand out is the Browns kickoff unit became a problem throughout the year. Hopkins ranked 30th in kickoff grade. So take that for what it's worth, but the return yards allowed, um, was not exactly where you would hope it would be. They allowed 431 so yards per return. They uh, averaged 21.6, which is inside the top 15 in the NFL. They didn't have enough touchbacks for me. That's something that I, I think that I don't know whether it was designed or not, but 50, and in, in, in it probably is, Andrew, because when you look at average hang time on kickoffs, Jake Camarda from Tampa Bay is one, and then Hopkins is two. So that's probably a Bubba Ventrone thing. So you're talking about touchbacks. The Browns only produced 50 touchbacks, while like the leaders, Dallas, Kansas City, Baltimore, L.A., New Orleans, Philly, Miami, 75 or above, all the way up to 100. So like quite clearly the Browns need to stop trying to kick it off and and, and try to pin teams inside the 25 and just – drive it out of the back of the end zone. Because by the end of the year, I didn't think that was very good. They, they were allowing, obviously, they had one of the few teams to allow a touchdown on a kick return this year. That's not good enough. I thought the punt coverage was fine all year. I didn't have any issue with that. But I thought kickoff, the kickoff team wasn't quite good enough. And I'm a little interested to see how they try to rectify that given the results of this last year. It's definitely worth mentioning as a, as a concern, as a spot where they could improve. I think overall I was... I guess underwhelmed by Bubba Ventrone's first year. I think that's fair. I thought they would be a lot better than they were. If you're firing your, like we, I think we were all kind of happy to see Mike Prefer go, or at least not, we weren't upset about it. I guess it's probably the nicer way to say that. Um, For that to happen so late in the cycle, and it's because Ventrone became available and you kind of got excited to go get this guy. You thought you'd see a difference made somewhere along the line. And I, it really just didn't ever show up. Maybe it takes a year, but they they did bring in so many specific special teams players. We talked about Mike Ford on the cornerback uh, series, the Matthew Adams, lots of guys that were special teams first guys, and it didn't ever feel like it was a clear advantage for the Browns other than the kicker, which is the part that feels very much down to just that person. So, and it's, it also has to be said, like York didn't get better; he didn't fix York. They had to they had to replace him. So. I, I don't know. I, I think this is – it's not that – again, we're not going to storm the building because the special teams coach didn't produce yeah. a bunch of free touchdowns. But, like – They've tightened special teams up so much as yeah. a league that it's yeah. like it's a good we're point. really operating on the margins. Like, so it's – it almost sounds like we're just being picky. But I, I'm with you in, like, okay, so the kickoff team struggled. That's interesting. They didn't get this – like you said, the kicker didn't improve. Like, maybe – some of the stuff you're sold here. And there just were times like they had an extra guy on the field in a game that cost them a penalty. Like there were just moments where I'm like, this feels like we were supposed to see some marked improvements. And we, we didn't, I'm not saying fire Bubba and Tron. It could take a second year there and they're hitting the ground rolling. But you know, I, I think it's fair to say that it was underwhelming based on what we were sold, but it could, it could be behind closed doors. He's worked miracles and we, and we don't know, but from the outside looking in, I do hope that they on the like return side, because that's where special teams coordinators are really doing their thing. The kicker stuff, whatever, but like there's, there's the small little things that you can do, how you 
have your guys run downfield and kickoff to like mess with who's blocking L1, L2, L3, whatever, right? And then there's little ways you can switch up your your uh, you know, your field goal protection. There's just little stuff you can do to mess with things and you know, maybe he caught on film that Miles could jump right over the guard or something. There's little things that you can do uh, to try to mess with things and maybe he's done more than we think, but I think outside looking in uh, I, I'm not calling it a failure, and I don't. I don't think you are either, Andrew. But I. I don't. I just would like them to be cleaner next year. Right. The main thing the Browns need from their special teams is to not give away field position, whether that's in the kickoff return game or the punt exchange. Right. You need to be net positive in that, however you can. So, at this point, that's all special teams really matters. Making sure you make your field goals and then being net positive in the return games is is really all that you can ask for and I I think they were pretty good in that area but I think they also could have been better and I think we were expecting better just based on the reputation of the guy they hired yeah the the kick return stuff like Pierre Strong returned eight kicks this year 25 yard average I didn't feel they did a great job of balancing when to just take a knee on kick return game um you know again it's not like they returned a ton the leading return single person was Keyshawn Nixon and Green Bay returned 22. I mean, you're talking about most like the middle average here, Andrew, is like 16 to 10 to 16. So it's not like there are a ton of returns happening. The Browns returned eight of them. From what I'm seeing here, uh, Pierre Strong only registered eight returns. So it's not awful. The punt return stuff, Prochet, not great. <laughs> um, you know, he's he's one of the lower grades on punt return stuff, but like, I'm curious if you think between the kick return, punt return, and I know they've done, they've tried to make Jakeem Grant a thing for two years. It hasn't worked out. Do you think they're still chasing that or are they filling it some other way? Well, you mentioned the name Keyshawn Nixon yesterday, who is a nickel player that also is a great returner, uh, has been for the Packers in the past. That's, that's an interesting one to me. I think finding somebody who does return is something that they are, passionate about they seem to be pretty dedicated to so I would expect them to be looking somewhere for that answer again this year but I don't it's it remains to be seen who that's going to be I I would say considering that they're a little bit more tight financially this year I wouldn't want to break the bank for anybody but identifying either an undrafted free agent or a late round draft pick that has returnability is something the Browns have not done which has surprised me that feels like the way you want to find this guy, not through free agency, not trying to chase a, a valuable returner who you have to give real dollars to. I, I think it makes more sense to go to the draft and say, this guy was a very good returner in college. That should translate. I mean, it's the same thing, right? Like it, it, the blocking should be better. Athleticism should translate. That's where I would like to see them address it. Okay, got a trivia question for you on the way out the door. How many punt return touchdowns do you think happened this year off the top of your head? Eight. Nine. Nice. I was surprised, but I would have guessed like four. Mm-hmm. Punt return touchdowns, still very much a thing. No duplicate touchdown guys, just all one down mm-hmm. the line here, but uh, nine of those is a pretty good number. Kickoff return touchdowns, do you know? That's lower, right? That's like four or five? Good job. Four, right? So four happened. Marvin Mims, Damian Pierce, which we witnessed uh, Jalen Rager had one for New England, and then Andrew Beck, a fullback, did he return like a uh, onside kick? I'm having to think it was an onside kick. No other way that one would have come to fruition for Houston, or maybe like a 
like a swip kick or something. I don't know. It was a anyway, 90 yarder. I just looked it up. 90 yarder for Andrew Beck, a fullback mm-hmm. right on. Good for him. Well, long story short, it's phasing out, but that's still, you know, talking about 13 touchdowns in that department. You can still find some advantages there on the margin. So the Jaguars, hopefully. yeah, gave up a, a full, full field kickoff return to the up man. I missed that. I missed that in September when it happened. The Jags would be one of the teams I would think that happened to this year, <laughs> if I had to guess, based on the way their season ended. Yeah, so, it was ugly. It was ugly. It was ugly. All right. So we're going to wrap a pot up. That's it. We've done all the positions, everything we can cover. Hopefully this has been an informative thing for you guys, reliving what they did last year and kind of previewing what they're going to do this year. Hopefully some opportunities that are there for them, uh, free agency first, and then the draft. And uh, I think like we've mentioned at the start here, they don't have a ton going to free agency. So it's like the core of who they are is coming back, right? They make some tougher decisions in 25 and there are still some tough decisions to be made this year, but the core itself is, is relatively intact and they're kind of adding to that. So uh, that's the, that's the lead takeaway. And then, there's plenty of opportunity for them, even though they're missing a first round pick to get some good football players in the door. And we'll be covering that and more for you in the coming days and weeks. So we appreciate you stopping by and enjoying this segment uh, that we have done throughout really the past month and uh, giving us some feedback on that. When you guys do, that's always appreciated, whether that is through Twitter or email or whatever. We appreciate you guys. Anytime you shoot us insights, you guys are stupid. You guys are great. We're into any of that. Feedback is always good for us. You know, you're not going to hurt our feelings and you're not going to get our heads to uh, combust. We're going to be able to stay level headed if you give us some positive feedback, too. We always appreciate that. So, again, thanks for being here, making this pot a part of your day. Rate and review it if you can, if you have not already done so. And stop by the OBR.com and join ASAP to be a member as we get into the important part of the offseason, which is right around the corner. The OBR will be at the Combine, so we'll have coverage from that. And it's an exciting week of football stuff coming ahead for you guys. So stop by here every day and get some more podcasts into your rotation and get ready for your Cleveland Browns to change some parts of their team. So from Andrew and I, again, thanks for being here. Be well. Go Browns.